The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Clearly, most of you didn't get the memo that Mark Nunberg won't be here this morning. <laughs> um, this is only my second talk here on a Sunday morning, so uh, I'll introduce myself. My name is Ramesh Sairam. Um, I've been practicing here for about nine years. And when Mark feels like having a break in sunny California, he asked me to torment you folks. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I, I do have his permission to talk about my practice, so I don't pretend to sit here as a teacher as much as I uh, use you as my support group to share the trials and tribulations of my mindfulness practice. Um, my middle name is Impatience. So I figured that I'll talk to you about patience. Um, it was very easy to put together this talk. Just listed all my characteristics and looked for their antonyms, and there was the talk. And you will need a lot of this quality for the next 30 minutes as you listen to me drone on. So as the reason I focused on the body was we all have a concept of what, what patience or impatience means, but we are we so hardwired to act out on it that we don't ever give, us, give ourselves the time to study what impatience is or what patience feels like. So even if you don't feel like you're connecting with my, what I'm saying, what I'm saying will be engendering some kind of emotions in your body. So if you feel like detaching from my words, come back into your body, you'll come much wiser at the end, come out much wiser about impatience from studying your body than from my words. But having said that, I have to say something. Um, so let me start with, uh, everyone knows what patience is about. You know, we're, we're preaching to everyone else about be patient. Or sometimes we tell ourselves, I should be patient. But as I, I've been working on this uh, particular quality for some months after a few embarrassing incidents in my life, but more I studied it and more I kind of con uh, reflected on it, I realized how little I knew about patience. So... One of the first things I'm going to get it out straight is that pay, what patience is not. Because when we, we try to talk about patience, the first you know, kind of counter arguments are, well, patience is all about passivity. It's about resignation. It's about giving up. It's about disconnecting from life. Uh, if I were patient with all the you know, annoying people in this world, uh, nothing will change. But that completely mistakes the whole concept of patience as a quality that we develop. Uh, it's far from being passive. In fact, it's such an active process of engagement that it's often difficult. And what we disengage from is not the, the object of our impatience, but we numb ourselves to the discomfort of having to deal with that unpleasant object. And so that's what feels like passivity and numbing. And sometimes the other end is patient feels like a, a kind of brute, effortful uh, task. Like, next 30 minutes, some of you at least will feel like I have to sit through this for 30 minutes listening to this guy droning along. There is some of it, but that's why I go back to my earlier advice. If you set aside the painful aspect of it, you can always go back to your body and find out what is it about this situation right now that is so uncomfortable that it feels like hard work. I mean, there'll be a bus that goes by and you don't listen to it. Same way... 
is it possible, even if you don't connect to my words, can you still come back to your body and stay with the ease that you cultivated and let my voice just kind of drone on in the background? And suddenly there is this annoyance and there is me, and the, but the train don't meet. And so there's no need for that muscular energy to put up with a boring talk. The other thing is that patience, um, at least in my mind, was it was like a fixed state to be achieved. As if um, I have an annoying colleague and so I have to deal with him. So if I just become patient with him, all will be well. No, more I thought about it, he'll still be annoying. And so, and if I find him annoying, how can it be a fixed state of peace, of patience that I'll be fine with? That's when I realized that, oh, there has to be a dynamic engagement with that annoyance of that person, and then figure out how can I be with the person without these reactive tendencies. Or the alternative is to numb out, to avoid him, and to kind of not deal with the problem in the department, and then create that kind of false sense of I'm being patient with him. And the other kind of objection that comes to, comes when the subject of patience is brought about is, well, if you were in Stalin Russia or in Hitler's Germany, well, good luck with patience. You know, you, you wouldn't have gone anywhere. But I find that my mind is very good at bringing up these kinds of excuses when I'm impatient on the road. You know, why should problems in Stalin's Russia or ISIS Middle East stop me from learning to be patient with my wife or on the, on the jerks on the road, on the freeway? It just becomes like a cop-out. So as soon as I, I, I either I tell myself or somebody points out that I should learn to be patient with a certain situation, it becomes like an easy excuse. Oh, there's no point being patient because if the, you know, if the Americans had been patient in 1944, the World War II wouldn't have ended. It, where's the connection? But I find how often it keeps coming up. It doesn't have to be the kind of big example, but we often, when we think of in, in, in developing patience, we pick up the biggest problems in our lives. You know, it could be the annoying colleague or annoying mother-in-law or whatever else, you know, your favorite um, annoyances. And then... If we are not aware of what impatience means, we just have a notion that you know, I, I'm uncomfortable, I'm impatient, and so I have to do something about it, and we do what we've been doing for all our past. So for me, I keep doing what I've been doing for 45 years, which is react out of my distress. And so either it's anger, or it's sulking, resentment, or avoidance, numbing, everything that takes me away from the reality of the situation, and especially anything that has any chance of giving me some sense of wisdom and awareness of how to relate to the situation properly. <clears throat> and, and I read a, a little piece about Gandhiji, and his, his whole um, nonviolence movement was described in this succinct phrase, which kind of captures the non-passive aspects of um, patience, that his whole, his and Nelson Mandela or uh, Martin Luther King, they were nonviolent non-passive, non-cooperation. I mean, you can see all of them as being negatives, or you can see them all as being active engagement, but in a non-reactive way, in a kind of a thoughtful, you're actually connecting with, in Gandhiji's case was the, you know, the British colonial rule, 
But he didn't say, well, it's hopeless, or he didn't go sulk in a corner. He was actually connecting and engaging, but by not doing the reactive things. So there are certain patterns, a certain kind of constellation of situations that uh, engender um, impatience. And I'm, most of this is my personal examples, but I'm assuming some of you can relate to it. But the point here is to start looking at you know, what triggers your impatience, because that's the first point of mindfulness contact, and then the next would be to study what does it mean by impatience beyond just the word. So one is, I have a certain um, desire and that is thwarted. Uh, for example, I go to Izzy's ice cream, really, I, w I want to be first in line, but there are 15 people ahead of me. And you can see me twitching, you know, and so, so that's a kind of mild example, but that's something I can work with. Not successfully yet. But, <laughs> but other more pernicious one I found is um, I'm the medical director of my department, and there are a couple of my colleagues who don't behave the way I think they should. And the story in my mind was that he or she should not be doing this, or what if only they did this. And then I found that, you know, I'd go home on a Friday evening, and I'd be stewing over this particular person's act on Saturday and Sunday. That's not their problem. They're probably at some you know, nice bar having fun, and whereas I'm the one stewing. They are who they are, but somehow I've carried them with me uh, in, at home. And then I noticed that it was not at all about them, that it was them challenging my views of how a physician should behave or how a department should be run or how people should comport themselves. And the frick, I don't expect these people to change much at all, but it was the kind of arrogant sense in my mind of how things should be. And th since things weren't that way, my mind was impatient for things to change in a way that they wouldn't change. But if I just told myself, well, I need to be patient with this person, I'd get nowhere because my mind was always fixated on that person being the cause of my impatience as opposed to the scaffolding of my mind, how it receives this person. Boredom and tedium. I mean, some of you are right now experiencing it. You know, that, you know, so the mind, when it feels this ennui, this sense of this is not right, you know, our tendency is to fantasize. And fantasy is always out there. And when it's out there, there is this slight tensing that comes up. You're always leaning forward. You're always um, reaching out. And that's why at the, at the end of the guided meditation, I talked about the last five minutes of meditation. Even after all these years, I still cannot but observe this kind of levitation in my body as it desperately waits for my phone to you know, send out those gongs. Why should it be any different? I don't know. But the mind has created this story. But even in other kind of very simple aspects of my life, I noticed how impatience can kind of seep in surreptitiously. For the last few years, at any time, I'm reading three or four books and some periodicals. Not simultaneously, but, but sometimes it's almost simultaneously. I have a book here, and I'm reading a paragraph that triggers something, and I'm onto my tablet to look it up, and then back and forth, as if I can't finish the chapter let it sink, and then go to the next one. So I'm reading a fiction, I'm reading a nonfiction on history, I'm reading a spiritual book, nonfiction on science, 
um, Atlantic economist. I'm showing off that I'm a Renaissance man, so. <laughs> but it's, again, I can't just say that, oh, I should stop doing it. But what was it about my mind that was not satisfied with reading one book at a time? Which I did 30 years ago when I didn't have the internet. And I could only read one book at a time. And we had just two or three channels on TV. Now I have the option of four nature programs on TV, so I'm going back and forth between PBS and National Geographic and Discovery Channel, wanting to know what else is on TV. So that, there is something not right. I hope I'm not the only one that way with that. <laughs> so to me, that is impatience. But it's not, again, it's not a concept that I'm an impatient man. It's at that moment, as, my, as this, you know, this particular National Geographic program is going on, I'm already bored by the scenes of oceans. Let's see if there's something about the Amazon forest. But I like both. So what is it about this scene that's causing this impatience in my mind? And at the end of the day, it comes down to absence of contentment with the way things are. At least for me. And so the one big learning that has really helped me in the last few months is impatience is not about our, what's out there. And so one of those examples was that a few years ago, I used to live in Woodbury and commute to downtown St. Paul in my car. And the evening drive back on 94 was just hell. It's all of 10 miles. You know, if I went at 40 miles an hour, it would take me maybe 20 minutes. If I drove at 60 miles an hour, it would take me, you know, 15 minutes. Five minutes of my life is not a big deal, but it was hell. <laughs> that hell of impatience. And then I discovered the bus. And then it wasn't a problem. I could be stuck in traffic for half an hour in the bus. Same traffic, same, not a big deal. It's not that I could read because on the, in the car I could listen to uh, all things considered. It wasn't that my mind was not occupied. My mind had built up a story that when I'm in control of the car, I should be going. That's the story. And that was thwarted. Whereas when I'm on the bus, somebody else is in control. What's the big deal? Don't tell my wife this, but I find that when I'm with a friend who's driving a car, I'm much more at ease than when she's driving the car. You can delete this from the talk, right? <laughs> so when you look at um, patience from the kind of <clears throat> Buddhist teachings, they usually talk about three aspects to patience. So one is of um, gentle persistence. It's kind of staying on task when every fiber of your being is, is saying don't. So there is this kind of effort, but that, the word there is gentle. And again, be careful about the poisons that you pick. Don't try to be gently persistent with the most annoying thing in your life. You know, pick something milder. Like the freeway right now when I go back, there will be people who will thwart my desire to have an empty road all the way to St. Paul. But you can start there. But it's the kind of gentleness, and then you can build up from there. But it's and it's not just about um, doing it, but also watching what is it that's going on in your body that's saying don't do it. 
You know, so I'm reading this book. I desperately want to switch to the tablet to read something. Can I just stay with this chapter until the chapter is done and then move? And then if my body is saying, please, please move, what's going on here? There is the mindfulness of impatience. And some of these are such deeply established habit patterns, especially in some of us who are beyond 20 years of age, um, that, you know, you will keep failing. And so that's where mindfulness practice helps, is that you're coming back not to the story, but to what's going on here. And so that's why everything that we do comes back to applying in our daily life. And then always question when your mind says that I'm so bored. Is it really, is, is the totality of the whole picture right now, is it that boring that you really have to numb out or you have to go on to the television or the tub of hagen So that's the other aspect of mindfulness. If you find that it's uncomfortable to stay with what's going on, then you look out, but then look at the totality of the picture. You know, this talk may be boring, but I mean, this, this, there is peace, there is comfort. You have wonderful company here. And you've been waiting for a week for some time to yourself, so nobody in your family is just you know, bugging you for this and that. So that's the whole positive counterpart to this boring talk. So can your mind just detach from the talk and look at all the have some gratitude for the wonderful things that you have. And so that's one way to cultivate patience is by looking at the non-boring aspect of a boring situation. The second aspect to patience, and this is the one that probably causes folks the most kind of tightening, is endurance. You know, is to endure, is to suffer, is the kind of martyrdom aspect of, you know, spirituality. Um, but the other way is to, you can, but there's no sugarcoating it. There are some things that you have to endure in a kind of a painful way. Um, but again, if you start small, something, um, something that you can bear with um, rather than picking something big. Um, but you can see that the, the, uh, the gentle persistence and endurance have aspects of doing in some situations and not doing in other situations. And so, for example, if I'm in a long line and waiting for the ice cream, what they're not doing is to kind of not be twitchy. Just stand there, let gravity support me, do some deep breathing, um, but not do it. Whereas in other instances, say, for example, I have, uh, example, I have to write a report, you know, I can either finish the report in an hour or I can finish it in a whole day with punctuations, with television and everything else. So there the gentle persistence is with doing something that is painful. But it's amazing how they have the internal distress, the quality of internal distress is quite similar. And then the other part is if you have a task that is truly, uh, by, by universal acclaim, a painful task to do, the only way you can soften it is by having some compassion for yourself to have been charged with doing this awful thing. Because if you have to finish a report or if you have to fill a 14-page questionnaire or an application form, there is no getting around it. And getting angry, frustrated, or using escapist mechanisms don't get you anywhere. But one, one way to soften is actually soften to yourself as opposed to soften to the act. There's nothing to soften to filling out 15-page questionnaire. But you can soften to yourself about the, you know, the predicament you find yourself in, so at least you... Uh, give yourself some credit for getting through the task. 
And the final aspect of um, patience is, is acceptance. A very loaded word that I find a lot of difficulty with. You know, there's somebody out there who is an annoying person, in my humble opinion. I can't really accept that person. Acceptance has an aspect of really taking them in. But I find the word allowing them to be who they are uh, a little easier. And again, in my mind, they're not parsing words. Allowing is letting them be where they are. But it also allows me to accept that I find this person annoying. But there is not that back and forth of he's annoying, I'm annoyed, and then back to him because I'm focusing on him. And there is a kind of back and forth mutually reinforcing aspect to it. But if I allow something to be there, and I also allow the fact that I find this person annoying, then there's like five plus five units of distress. But if I'm not aware of that and I buy into the story, that's when I brought that person into my home on a Sunday afternoon, and it's like five times five, and it's a continuous story. It's 25 times, 25 units of suffering, as opposed to 10 units of suffering, which is a little more manageable. And also the kind of boredom, ennui, those kinds of situations bring out the other aspect of our thinking, which is that, that if only mind. You know, if only things were in such a way that I wouldn't be bored. But those of us who've been on retreats, we find that even if you've had an extended period of nice, calm, and peace, the mind wants something else. If your mind is truly comfortable with a sense of peace and ease, which is, well, which is the goal in life, why does it start off into a fantasy in the middle of your set? So that's the part. Again, there is this impatience even with peace and ease. So even if you're completely comfortable, suddenly you realize you're making plans for tomorrow. Really? That email can't wait till 6 p.m.? But, so don't buy into the story that you are contented as if it's a fixed state. So what to do? about patience or impatience. First of all, get friendly with impatience. Because at least for me, sorry, I don't mean to preach, but at least for me, impatience is a bigger part of my life than patience is. So I have more opportunity to study impatience than patience. <laughs> to me, patience is a negative, it's an absence. And it's very difficult to study absent things. So... Um, so that's, that's all you can do in the beginning. And if you're like me with a wrong kind of middle name, boy, it's just all you can do for many weeks is realize how many times I'm impatient. But that's, the, that's mindfulness. You know, I don't have to be sitting with my eyes closed. And that's, again, a false sense of peace. So, um, so be comfortable with the notion of impatience. There's something positive there. Um, and... The very kind of cognitive behavior therapy aspect of uh, cultivating patients would be just thinking what would it like what it be, what it would start again what would it feel like to be patient as an intellectual concept so patience we think is of as a kind of total acceptance and embodied experience, but before we get to that level of nirvana, you have to at least have a concept. So if I am in a, in, a, in a checkout line that's, you know, interminably long and I'm feeling impatient, I can't just suddenly develop this kind of embodied patience, but I can at least start fantasizing about what would it feel like to be if I were not impatient. What would it feel like to be patient? So at least I'm thinking about at least an external concept of being patient.
a big, um, uh, sorry. One practice that really helped me a lot was I realized a couple of years ago how much I was a rush every time I sat to get to my object of meditation. As if that is the, you know, it'll get me to salvation. The idea of mindfulness meditation is to be with the way things are. So if I have come in, if I have, I've had a busy day at 60 miles an hour, and then two hours later my mind is at about 50, 40 miles an hour, I can't just sit down and expect my mind to go down to 10 miles an hour or zero miles an hour in three minutes. But that's what I was expecting. Sit down, settle down, relax, breathing, go to your breath. And 30 seconds later, it's fantasy. You know, come back to your breath. Fantasy, come back. Sucks, I'm a bad meditator. It's done. <laughs> but it, the, the dope slap for me was, I wasn't aware of what was going on. What was going on was a very restless mind. That's because I was, ex I was expecting to apply a break. Yeah, I can apply the break, but all the heat, the energy that's generated, it's still sitting in this body. And the momentum of the thoughts just keep on getting me out to the future. And so this is where I've probably had the biggest um, benefit of kind of patience practice was to just slow down. But also I realized that relaxation became a concept as opposed to an experience. So I, then I realized that even if I get to a sense, a certain state of relaxation, it's less than two minutes later. As soon as I'm, my mind has gone off to a fantasy, that relaxation is gone. That's another manifestation of impatience. So that's one thing you can do is, if you're feeling restless, you know, whether you call it restlessness or impatience, it's just you know, two sides of the same coin. The other thing you can do in kind of smaller aspects of your life is slowing down. I still cannot eat breakfast without reading something or having NPR on. But it's, it's a process. I, I can feel the tension. So what I do now is I get the breakfast going, I have the remote in my hand, the radio is off, and I have the first few bites, and then I have to turn the radio on. Because I'm missing something. I really am not, because I can catch New York Times. I mean, you can always catch up, but it's the story. But that's the kind of play of modern life, is that it's created new levels of impatience that were not present even 10 years ago. It's appalling. And it's just become that much more difficult. And so each of you will have your own examples, but that therein, that's the kind of curiosity. The zing is in, you know, how many ways am I impatient is like a nice challenge, as opposed to I'm such an impatient person. It's like, you know, you're describing yourself. The, um, in fact, in, in the Zen practice of Buddhism, they talk a lot about patience as the antidote to anger and aggression. By the way, uh, patience in Pali is kanti. It's one of the ten paramis. And in the Zen tradition, it's uh, kshanti, the Sanskrit word, and uh, they have six uh, paramitas. But, and again, it didn't, uh, you know, I could think of situations like driving a car when I would, you know, cuss out at someone who was driving recklessly, but I didn't make the connection between impatience and anger. For me, I was angry at that person for not driving well. You know, that was logical. It didn't add up, because he is who he is. I mean, I expect jerks to be there all the time. I'm one of those. You know, so it's what was, at least in my mind, is that I have a notion of people and world, and when that's thwarted, it's anger for me. 
maybe it's a guy thing but there that's the it's not that he made me angry but it's more that i have a certain cognitive view of the world certain expectations and when they are thwarted it comes out as anger so what situations of anger sometimes anger is appropriate but in modern day life especially up in here in the midwest where we have a lot of peace and contentment um anger is often a sense like with my colleagues you know they question me even if they come up with a good idea that you know i think a department should run this way and somebody comes up with an idea and initially there's this insecurity because i am really holding on to this view of how things should be done and if i'm not aware of the threat that i feel then it's anger and then i can react in a way that then causes them to react and then i get impatient with that and then this story of i should be patient as if we are saints you know and then it's that sometimes patience is seemed to be uh seem to mean you just have to put up with uh somebody who is misbehaving and just accept it that's the kind of false notion this is that they are who they are my reactions i ought to get angry but it shouldn't be anything more than that anger i can stay angry with that person that person is how he he or she is but then i can still engage with them and see if i can help them change if that's appropriate or if there is a junior colleague who's come up with an idea that's really good but my ego won't allow it then i have to sit with my insecurity that person where he is and engage with them and so that's the difference between passivity numbing and the engagement aspect of patience is that you actually have to be patient with your reactivity first whether it's your anger your insecurity your restlessness and then you can you stay with it and then you actually reach out and engage with them so it goes back to the gandhi's thing of non passive non uh, cooperation and non violent it's all non but you're actively doing things and trust me humor and humility without that you cannot get anywhere in this patient's world um for me it's it's more comical that i a 48 year old man could be so stupid in my impatience you know so but it brings the sense of it's easier to accept it that way than i should be patient as in a kind of a judgmental way it's like i'm human you know i'm and that's why this is a bit of a support group you know i'm an alcoholic and kind of stuff i'm an impatient man <laughs> and then the worst thing is when you become impatient with your impatience and that is a sneaky poison because you can you because you're trying to be patient right and then i'm doing my best and except all this while you're being impatient with your impatience but not all aspects of impatience is to do with um awful things have you seen people at a buffet brunch sunday brunch you know they've starved themselves from the previous evening and no breakfast and they show up it's pleasant the food isn't going anywhere but they want to inhale sorry not they i want to inhale as i go from <laughs> you know what's that about you know it's that's impatience um vacation you know rushing around there is a sun setting beautifully i have to get in about 200 photographs in my rapid action camera <laughs> you know 
I'm not even looking at the sunset. I'm missing out the breezes, everything else. And then I'm in the room and I'm already sending it off in my emails or whatever else, and I've completely missed the beautiful experience of sunset in Hawaii or wherever else. That's impatience too. You can be impatient with pleasant things. That's why it's not about the object out there. It's about something here and out there, I hope. And then the peace and calm. This is what I found. I was at a solo retreat in September, and uh, the, restlessness, the restlessness of my mind as it was planning all kinds of things, I found that really in the middle of the retreat a very deep place of uh, ease and peace of mind, which at the same time was amazingly restless in its planning. The kind of complete disconnection. I could have been almost paralyzed in my, the way I was seated for easily an hour. It was 95 degrees and no problems. But my mind was wanting to tell everyone, like I am right now, what a great retreat I had. But it was back then. And finally, as Ajahn Sumedho and Mark Number keep reminding us, patience is all about being with how things are. This is how it is. And that's what you have to keep telling yourselves. So I'll end with a couple of quotes. This one is particularly ironic, given what I've subjected you to. This is by Henry Ward Beecher. There is no such thing as preaching patience into people unless the sermon is so long that they have to practice it while they hear it. <laughs> no man can learn patience except by going out into the hurly-burly world and taking life just as it blows. And then George Eliot said, it's easy to find reasons why other folks should be patient. <laughs> well, thank you for listening, and we have maybe three or four minutes if there are any questions. So, uh, it's my fantasy. No, the way I am constituted, loving kindness feels so contrived for me. I completely believe in it. I mean, there are some amazing um, uh, fMRI studies of folks who've done uh, um, loving-kindness practice, and I believe in its effect at a core scientific level, but, you know, I have to work with the way I am constituted, and so, but those of you who can do that, that's where I touched upon the compassion part. If you're faced with a really boring task that you have to accomplish, you can't pretend that this task is somehow fun and you, you're not impatient with it, but you can turn around and soften inside here with loving-kindness. But, but even with some of the more difficult aspects of your life where impatience keeps coming up, you have to go through the motions first. And so uh, you can't just suddenly have the softening very easily. That's what we do with loving kindness. You know, you send out these in a kind of a road practiced way, but something changes over a period of time, and that kind of softens and um, becomes more open to the way things are, which is exactly here. You know, if... Um, for example, I may find um, environmentally insensitive people difficult to deal with. But one thing I can do is just run away. The other one is be with them, but pretend that I am tolerating them. Keep going through the motions. Keep going through the motions. But in my practice, I would not focus on what they're doing as much as focusing on my reaction to what they're doing. And then when there's enough softening, then I'll have the courage to go and talk to them without losing it. But I, I, I can say with some confidence that in milder aspect areas of my life, I have had considerable success with going through the motions and then eventually 
you know, a few weeks, few months later, you realize that the same situation is having a completely different impact on you compared to six months ago. Yes, please. So what I would encourage you to do is, I just came across two quotes this morning, one by Thoreau and one by Emerson. There is a, just the opposite effect that happens on people who are aging. They realize there is a finite amount of time left, and there is the opposite effect of, let me make the most of what I have, not in the quantity, but in the quality. So if I'm going to enjoy... If I enjoy reading, I'll read one book really well. And I'm a geriatric psychiatrist, so I, uh, kind of aging, death, and dying is a large part of my clinical practice. And that's something I've come across in people. There is a sense of peace that descends on people who know they only have a few months to live, which we, those of us on the other side, who have a fantasy that I'll have another 40 years to live, forget. And so it's flip sides of the same coin. So I think if we just sit with what is it, that, what's the story that's causing the impatience, we may reach uh, Thoreau and Emerson kind of place. So. Um, sorry, I think we're out of time, so thanks, Emil. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.